0: Welcome back to the far side of midnight podcast. I'm your host Roderick, and this is episode number two. So in the previous episode, if you have not heard, hopefully you have. um, I began discussing the concept of the afterlife, death and reincarnation in predominantly the Eastern traditions. Those, Those traditions are Buddhism, Hinduism and the yoga tradition. I was talking about. Kriya Yoga I quoted Paramahamsa Yogananda and spoke about that so with this episode I would like to get into a little bit more of the nuts and bolts of the concepts of reincarnation as it is in the Western tradition now most of us don't have an idea about it very much if you're raised Christian whether Protestant or Catholic or any of the other uh, offshoot denominations um you may have heard of Christ, uh, excuse me you may have heard of reincarnation and the concept of that being associated with eastern traditions like um, those are from asia pretty much but there are a lot of concepts and writings about reincarnation and rebirth in the western traditions too so we're going to talk talk about that some so before I go on, I want to thank everybody that listened to the previous episode to the people who have been supporting this uh, podcast. It's this it is still in this infancy and it has some more time to grow, but I greatly appreciate every one of the listeners that have, everyone that's been listening to this stuff and who appreciate this kind of content. I'm going to keep it coming and I'm going to keep it growing and most importantly, just have fun. So I'm having fun with this right now. So reincarnation in the western tradition we know the bible as a book that um, many will call the word of god i want to go ahead and use the bible because it's what i'm more familiar with i'm not as familiar with with um, islam i never grew up as when i started doing my spiritual quest i got i got into most of the eastern religions because that's what i was drawn to so um, i have spent a few years going to Christian churches, um, from various Protestant traditions. And I, it wasn't that I'm just being personal here for a moment. It wasn't that I didn't believe in reincarnation. I always thought that some concept of the afterlife did exist. Like that just makes it just, it's always made sense to me that if we live this life now, why not later? You know, i never had this materialistic, uh, mindset like the materialists have <clears throat> where you have one life out of all the infinite miracles that happen within the cosmos within the space-time continuum here you are you're here today gone tomorrow no more done sleep forever that's it no existence it's never made sense to me with that um however with that being said when i got into buddhism I would have this thought of like, when was the first time I remember myself coming into a being? That's a good question. So I'll ask that. I will ask that question again. When was the first time you came into being? Can you remember that? So with death, most of the time people, I think, know. As they're going, you know, they kind of have an eye. I mean, people have an idea when it's coming, depending on their circumstances. But when they, when they, when they actually leave this life, they know they're conscious they're they're aware, you know, um, death awareness becomes probably I would imagine as we get older, it increases, you know, for the better and for the worse. The practice of meditation now, um, can bring us more death awareness. That's one of the benefits of it. I think is just working with your, your ability of being aware, your ability of being present. One can attune themselves with life to such a deep level that they will just like life is, you know, everything becomes just life. And everything becomes exist. You know, you just become so aware of awareness itself, and and that as your true identity, your true nature. What is death? It's but a dream. So I'm not trying to. I will talk about the the Western traditions here in a bit. I just want to kind of go into this a little bit. But that's a good question to ask. You know, when was the first memory that you remember? When was the first time in your life? Do you remember being what you are now, which is something that knows senses and something that knows thoughts and something that knows itself as being like, how far back does that go? It's a pretty deep question. It's a pretty deep question, but, um, I would say that most of us that were raised either Christian or Catholic or any of the various offshoots of Christianity, especially, we were told the idea that, and I'm not saying this is a wrong idea, by the way. I'm just um, merely referencing it. So this is not any kind of apology like this podcast. I'm I'm not an apologist of any kind for any kind of religion or faith. I'm just bringing up questions, um, facts speculations and we can all learn together you know on this journey so of self awareness but yeah any of us, anyway so any of us that grew up in any of the abrahamic faiths we were told more than likely that we have one life that we're born that the ultimate creator created created us in his image We have one life and then we die. And then from there on we go, we have a, either a judgment, some kind of eternal decision where we go, heaven or hell. So as I stated in the first episode, the previous episode, heaven is, I mean, excuse me, hell is mostly a Greek idea. So what we know of hell right now, has been evolving over the centuries so when jesus was on earth you know spreading his message of love and the message of knowing the father knowing which is you know i'm I'm using this metaphorically knowing your divinity um those you know that message love thy neighbor um, the kingdom of heaven is within you and sort of being this figure that was so radical for that time. I mean, just very radical. We're talking about whether you believe in this or not, but let's just, you know, entertain your, your curiosity for a moment. So imagine being in Palestine during that time or Philistine in the middle East Israel, you know, and well, at the actual location of Israel in Philistine during that time. Imagine the acceptance of church authority during that time was predominantly um, it was Judaism, and it was Pharisees, Sadducees. There were some communities of Essenes. So the Essenes are an ancient group of Jews, mystical Jews that came from Egypt, Alexandria, Egypt, and they had communes like, excuse me. Yeah. Communities. I shouldn't say communes communities. They had set up uh different parts of the Middle East. They lived in communities. They, they weren't patriarchal. They were pretty much even. So they were a priest priestess. They were vegetarian. They practiced meditation. They practice, um, mantras in a Hebrew language. They had a, they're a mystical mystery school. Pretty cool you know, um, look into that learn about that. It's some pretty fascinating stuff. So <clears throat> you had groups like that inhabiting that part of the world. And for the most part, I would imagine it was a very strict power structure. You know, you had the, you know, in the Bible, in the new Testament, Jesus will say things about the Pharisees. Like they love to be greeted at the marketplaces. They loved to have the most important seats at the banquet. He was sort of, um, illustrating this hierarchy and he was illustrating like a class, like there was a class of actual religious Jewish leaders at that time. And I would imagine that if you were like a farmer or, you know, some, someone like a, um, you know, like a merchant, or if you were of that class, the higher class might be the priestly class. I would, I would just think, you know, and then here's Jesus, this right rebel, this guy who has studied lots of spirituality from India. I mean, not everybody believes it. I do personally, you know, this, uh, I don't want to say this hippie, but this man who had spent some time in India learning various yogas, breath work, mastering meditation and who became a self-realized being to the highest degree, and who came as an avatar, who came as a savior? You know, when I say came as a savior, I mean he came to help people wake up, prepare them for the next age of awakening. It's a pretty big job, right? So when you have a figure like that in a society like that, that is extremely radical, and to top it off. You know what if jesus taught reincarnation well i think he did and let's get into that right now so in the western paradigm has there ever been any kind of doctrine of reincarnation and i say absolutely yes there has been so when the bible was being compiled into a book to a holy book it was happening during the Council of Nicaea of from Emperor Constantine and his scholars. And they spent 14 days selecting various scriptures, what to put in, what to take out. as you know, so there what was left in were the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luther, and John. Revelation being the end, the biblical opus, in the beginning being Genesis. So, in the, the first five books, you have the Torah, you have the, the original Jewish writings, although that's, some would say no, but the original Jewish writings, and then you have the new Testament, which were the coming of the Messiah. And that's what the, that that's what the emperor himself chose. Compiled, that was being compiled in all these other very mystical doctrines, which were about the afterlife dealing with reincarnation were left out. So what were those doctrines that were left out? Well, those doctrines, some of them were burned and destroyed. You know, some of those were, um, in the library of Alexandria, one of the saddest days in human history that being destroyed. Um, but many of them were also taken. So during the Crusades, when there were raids, like think of Montsegur, you know there were um, there was a group of Gnostics. Gnostics comes from the Greek word gnosis, so groups of other types of Christian groups living a Montsegur, and they were raided, killed for their beliefs. Some of their writings were taken around that time, and you know they're now owned by the Catholic Church and the Vatican. You know, in the Vatican Library, which is a, I believe it's a three mile or four mile. I think it's a three mile long library, just volumes of just hidden knowledge, hidden books. I would love to go there some someday. Oh man, that'd be great. So yeah, so um, the Gnostics were the. I would say that they're probably some some amongst the earliest of the West, of the Western traditions that have doctrines and reincarnation and Gnostics were in fact, early Christians. Actually, let me back that up. There were also um, early Jews that had mystical knowledge of reincarnation as well. And that will be in the, the, Kabbalah, uh, the Kabbalah or Kabbalah. I say Kabbalah, that's how I pronounce it. Um, in Kabbalah practice, the idea of Kabbalah is to get mystical empowerments and to ascend the tree of life. So that's like, so it's a series of empowerments that are a little bit similar to some mystical practices in Tibet in a way, <clears throat> but they had, um, they have doctrines of reincarnation as well, You know, because they see um, in the Western paradigm, it is seen as you have a soul or you are a soul, or you have a soul. And the idea is, you have fallen and then there's this gradual, you know, um, ascending different grades, depending on what mystery school you're involved in. You will ascend various grades until you reach reach ascension. So that's almost a general consensus among a lot amongst a lot of um, Western practices. You know, you were high, like high being like you were like a A pure heavenly being, being a part of the divine, being a part of God, and then you somehow over time descended into earth. And that's going to bring me to my next explanation. Let me get a sip of my drink here and I will go into that. All right. So the Gnostics. So the Gnostics would be best described as various groups of early Christians prior to the council of Nicaea. So prior to the state form of Christianity as we have today, or, um, prior to to Catholicism, because Catholicism is the first original state Christianity. And then the Protestants, you know, the groups of people who protested the church and started their own and created their own doctrine what this really um what those movements really are or were are um people's different interpretations of the bible different interpretations of the scriptures of the the best being described as um the concepts of revelation and a second coming but uh you have this with the concepts of soul and death as well however with You know, there's not too many movements out there, at least any that I can really think of that differs so greatly on what happens when we die that they started a whole new movement. You know, I I can't really think of any uh, Christian movements like that. The ones that have like separated from the original church and became Protestants and Baptists and Presbyterians is mainly because they see the second coming very differently. And those groups don't deal with reincarnation. If you go to your, if you, if you approach your average Christian today and talk about what we're talking about here in this podcast, they're going to say the Bible does not have anything like that. Therefore it's not true. Does not exist. Um, and Matthew 17, which is a, my fiance, you know, informed me today that, Hey, it's a footnote. It was not, it was not in the original King James Bible, but didn't know that till today. Um, Jesus is basically telling, he's basically Telling himself that Elijah is here, you know, it's almost like a, it's almost like a hint when you read it that he's almost like, he's saying I am Elijah or I was Elijah in a previous life. Um, I mentioned Paramahamsa Yogananda in the last, the previous episode. Um, I don't know the reference exactly, but Yogananda did say that Jesus was Elijah in his previous life. And he also gave that Matthew seventeen scripture as well, and that's how he interpreted. It. And you know, that's from the Eastern yogic perspective. Who, who would say, who would quote the Bible very often and say that the the Gospels in the West are compatible with the yogic doctrines of the East, which is pretty cool. <clears throat> but anyway, so let's segue into the Gnostics all right so the Gnostics are were a a um, various early groups of Christians so before there was a definitive church before there was a state church after Jesus after his time on earth but people formed movements little spiritual movements and the word Gnostic is Greek which means to know but gnosis or gnosis to achieve gnosis that was what you were meant to do that was like achieving buddhahood so so to speak but gnosis is loosely translated as knowledge but it's not knowledge that comes from reading or from hearing scriptures not merely from that gnosis comes from according to gnostics gnosis is something that is achieved internally. And it's something it's like a type of awakening. And then when you achieve that, then you can start graduating because remember, um, it's all about levels, different levels. It it's all about graduating into ascension. Ascension is key in these movements, but um, they believed in reincarnation. Now, compared to the previous episode where I was talking about how, what is the goal of Moksha, which is liberation liberation from, you know, um, the cycle of birth and death and, you know, Buddhism and Hinduism. What's the main goal of the Gnostics? Now their main goal is to is to ascend is to ascend and to become sort of like an angelic being or return to God. And from there on, you know, not living on earth in pain anymore because sort of like Buddhists, they see living on earth that has a lot of potential sufferings as well, but even to a more strict degree, because according to the Gnostics, they see the body as a trap. You know, they they say the body is a trap. You know, you have your fiery senses. You have temptations, you have negative thoughts. You have old age, you have ailments. You know, the, there's like a lot of bad things that come with having a body. So achieve, achieve gnosis and liberate yourself and ascend and return back to the plurima, which means the fullness, like the fullness of the universe. And this is a what I'm referencing here. Are um, this is mainly tenants mentioned in the Pistis Sophia, which is a set of writings from the Sophian Gnostic tradition. Because there's multiple Gnostic traditions. So, um, in short, Gnostics or Gnosticism is mystical Christianity, and they believed in reincarnation. So that's pretty fascinating stuff. You know, when I first started uh, my spiritual search, having had some experience in the church before didn't really do much to me. I later turned into learning about this stuff, learning about the Nag Hammadi library, which were the rediscovered um, Gnostic scriptures that were found in Nag Hammadi, Egypt by Muhammad Ali, a man that was. Um, I believe he was a a Muslim fellow in 1940. He was looking for gold and found he found some codexes. He just found like a he found all these different writings that were written in uh, the Greek language, and they called they named these later as the Nag Hammadi Library. And where they were buried, no one knows why they were placed there. How long they've been there? They've been there for a long time. But three miles away from the discovery site was an old monastery so possibly a gnostic monastery or some early christian monastery it's pretty fascinating stuff so i want to actually get into some some other concepts of the afterlife death and rebirth as well as they pertain to um the western paradigm we just spoke about uh, the gnostics so another one so another one that is pretty long forgotten. There's very little known about it as a movement from Syria um called manichaeism And it's named after its founder, Manihaya. And Manihaya believed himself to be a an apostle of Christ, who was around his sixth century. So the movement was um it began around that time and they were vegetarians. They had sort of a kind of like a combination of like Buddhist teachings and Christian teachings, like early Christian teachings, you know, they're uh, nonviolent, um, vegetarian. Some of them I, from what I remember reading about were vegan, even they practice meditation. They believed in reincarnation as well but there's very, very few of the Monarchian practitioners left in the world. In fact, what's left is really just a, an attempt to reconstruct the ancient Syrian religion itself. So it's pretty fascinating. And then there's, um, we can also talk about the Western pagan tradition who is huge into reincarnation, especially since the advent of the new age movement was started in the, you know, the, 50s very slowly into booming in the 60s and beyond so um yeah a lot of there's pagans that have a <clears throat> a lot of beliefs when it comes to uh, afterlife you know like I've taught to many read a lot of different books over the years uh, some believe in you know when you die you'll go to the land of the ancestors it's a very very common one um, amongst Norse pagans you know go to Valhalla or someplace where your ancestors are. Um, Wiccans, some Wiccans believe in going to the summer land, which is pretty cool, actually. So the Summerland is sort of like the El, uh, Elysian fields of the Greeks where you'll go. That's where your ancestors will be. Um, beautiful, beautiful lands, clear crystal waters, sort of like, um, what I read in the previous episode about the astral, the astral afterlife that Yogananda talks about. It's pretty cool stuff. So some of them um believe that you will go to summerland, so you you're here to work out your issues, you are here to learn lessons, big one, you know. So in the eastern traditions, we have karma, you know, you're here to work out your karma. In the west, you have instead of, instead of saying using that that Sanskrit language karma or kama in Pali, they would have say, Yeah, you're here to work out your lessons. So that's something that a lot of people will kind of um agree on i think but i would just say that most the majority of the western practitioners at least that i know of that i'm familiar with are you know they just believe in ascension some sort of ascension because the human body itself is it's it's kind of an entrapment it's not really like a good thing to have a body, or at least in a Gnostic tradition, um, in a pagan tradition, it's not bad. It's actually okay. You're a part of nature. So you're just a part of nature's cycles, but they don't really talk about liberation so much from what, I, and this is just from what I understand. I could be, you know, there's more to learn on this. And you know, if, if there's something that I don't know, you know, you just, just make, leave a comment. I like to read that, but let's talk about, why I want to kind of circle back to the Gnostics for a bit, because as far as the Western paradigm goes with reincarnation and afterlife, that's more of my area. So, in the Pistis Sophia, it talks about in their sort of cosmology, they have these beings called aeons. And it's sort of Marvel comic sounding a little bit the way, you know, Aeon's kind of a cool word. And Sophia is this feminine energy. You know, she's the, the Shekinah, you know, she's the, she's the one that birthed the creator, the creator of the world, which is the Demiurge Demiurge in Greek means crafter. So out of Sophia, came the Demiurge and the Demiurge came to this like descended from that Aeon and descended from all the other Aeons and created the earth as we know it created everything in it now a lot of the Gnostics really don't have that much good stuff to say about um, the Demiurge The Demiurge is not the devil though just to be clear the Demiurge is not the devil but the Demiurge is sort of a archetype of a of an egoic god so they would just say in short the god of the old testament is the demiurge and the god of the new testament is jesus or Yeshua, the messiah so and the reason they say that is because some of the things that are mentioned in the old testament are from the demiurge now i'm going to get more into that here i'm going to take a short break and I'm going to talk more about the, about the demiurge in a bit. Okay. That was like a little little bit of a short break there. So where were we? We were talking about the... Demoger the, the Demogos. Demiurge. Okay, so the Demiurge is described as this sort of a, is a subordinate to the app to the absolute God. So he's not the creator of the he's not the real actual creator of the universe, but so basically in the in the Gnostic traditions, like this is like I'm speaking from the Sophia Gnostic, the Plutonian Gnostic traditions, they both agree that the demiurge comes from Sophia herself, which is a part of the divine, she's a divine feminine, there's a divine masculine, you know, because um unlike the unlike unlike what happened later with the church, which became more patriarchal, the mystical groups of christianity themselves were both they had like a mix between both the masculine and the feminine had more equality the feminine was just as important or is just as important as the masculine so yeah so anyway the demiurge departs from sophia because there was this desire to create the physical universe something that was apart to something that was separate a little bit from the totality of all that is and the Demiurge went and crafted planets, crafted scorpions and things that make people suffer. <laughs> but um, the Demiurge is also envious of human beings in a, in a way because human beings contain the spark of the divine within them. And the question of some of the Gnostics was like um, the, the very famous Bible quote you know, from the Ten Commandments. When God tells Moses, you know, "Thou shall not have any other gods before Me." So, to to the Gnostics, they would say, "Well, if you're the only God, why would you why would you say have no other gods? Does this mean don't create other gods? Does this mean there's are there other gods out there? You know, things like that." So, pretty interesting stuff. So, yeah, so it's a very, yeah. the mystical Western traditions are, they're pretty cool. They have some very fascinating things to say, but they too agree with reincarnation, but the Gnostics themselves would say that spark of divinity that's within everyone, wake up that spark and transcend the body. And then that's the afterlife. You know, the afterlife will be returning to the, which can happen in this present life. Not just after death, but to awaken that spark and ascend. And this brings me to talking about some of the Western magical traditions, which are not limited to things like the Golden Dawn. And I'm going to have a guest on in probably my next episode, if not then my next episode, the one after good friend of mine. He's a ceremonial magician. We're going he's we're going to um, unpack a lot of those types of things too. But um in the western magical traditions, they borrow a lot from you know the Egyptian, they borrow things from uh, the like a lot of eastern things as well, like the the yogic practices that we were talking about um in a previous episode. So the magician would you know, like raise their, raise their energy to having to basically immortalize themselves for the afterlife as well. So, um, in the, so one, one of the Eastern traditions I did not talk about last night, and I'm not going to talk about it too much because I'm going to use this time to talk about more of the Western traditions. Um, but that Eastern tradition I did not go over very well, um, which I'm surprised. And one that I, I love a lot is Taoism. Um, and in some schools of Taoism, they're um, the alchemical school of Taoism, they have an idea of using herbs, using forms of breath work, qigong, um, even some taiji practice, and to take the Shun energy. Shun means the spirit energy and within the body. And to raise that and grow that and cultivate that to become an immortal yeah to become a being called a xian in chinese and a xian is that's how you pronounce it too the that tone um a xian is like a it's like a building an angelic body now in the western traditions they have such they would say build the sun body and this is an extremely complex topic because In order to do so, one would have to initiate themselves within a mystery school. So some of those mystery schools can be things like the Western ceremonial magic schools. There's the mystical traditions, like some of the Gnostic schools. The Essenes have such a training for their initiates, because like, as I said before, before the break. They do things on a grade basis. So mystery schools always have this. They always have some sort of graduating system where you start from the bottom and you graduate to the top. You go by different levels. So your basic level as a novice, you might learn like, um, you know, you'll get the basic concepts of what it is that you're achieving. Like, and let's just take the practice of Kabbalah or Kabbalah many pronounce it. In Kabbalah, you have the tree of life. So you have 10 levels, 10 Sephirots, as they call it. And the separats themselves are laid out as different areas of consciousness. But this map is so incredibly detailed, you can put many things on that. You can put the tarot, you can put the, 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 the seven chakras will also fit on a 10 separats on a tree of life. So the point is um, having a system, a grading system to do that. And by utilizing that they can build their, they can build like a vehicle for their consciousness after death. And I know I didn't talk a lot about this in a previous episode. I talked more about just the basic, like, you know, you die and here's their version of heaven. Here's their version of wherever, you know, Which is interesting so um a lot of these but a lot of these mystical things were stripped and hidden because you know during the growth and the development of the early church it was a pretty dangerous time to be into mystics so you had to people had to go and do these things in secret i would imagine that the gnostic churches went more underground the Essene movement themselves did go underground because You know when they were going out and beheading people for being heretics and killing them and burning their scriptures some of the surviving schools had to go underground you know i would imagine that they would move to other areas of the middle east different parts they became scattered Um, maybe even i mean maybe even destroyed their own doctrines and just orally translated it for a century or two You know, there's a, that's a possibility of that, you know, when you're talking, because there's, there's something about, I don't know. I thought about this many times. There's something about knowledge that transcends this earthly life that might've been a threat to the early church. You know, when church leaders like Iranius came and just, you know, coined the word heretic and said. Anyone who does not believe in this orthodoxy is a heretic. Heretic is a dirty word or it beca- or it's not a dirty word. It became a dirty word from there on. And then, you know, that was it. <clears throat> so it's almost like much of the early church just really wanted people to believe in one life because they have one life that they can devote to the church and to kind of be a cog in the wheel, so to speak, do you understand? I mean, imagine what that would be like. You know, if you're talking about, if we talk, if you're, if you are talking about having re, being able to reincarnate and have multiple lives, you have all the time in the universe to perfect yourself. That's not going to give much power to any kind of church authority, but to a church, a growing and expanding church authority. It would make sense for them to be against such a thing for them to just say, you know, well, let's just delete this out of this book called the Bible, which we're creating and let's leave everything else in there, which is good. But let's take out this heretical stuff and say it's bad and people need one life. They have one life to devote to us, to granting us power. It's a really good question but it's not a question that many people would want to challenge. You know, I know like a good friend of mine is a practicing Judaic Christian, and he's not going to listen to this podcast. He already told me, he says heaven or hell it's black or white. That's it. There is no other, nothing in between. There's no, but he, you know, he also believes that the earth is 5,000 years old and that's another topic. Well, that's not a topic, but I don't really want to go into that too much, but yeah. So it's my, I guess my point while I was bringing up my, my friend here is because it's something that's been solidified in the Western conscious for a long time. So one of the main differences between East and West in terms of spirituality is in the East things start from the earth. It starts with a human being. It's very anthropocentric, anthropocentric. Everything's about the human being. And then with the West, some things are about the human being, but it's about, it starts out there. It's more cosmic in the beginning. You know, it starts with a, a God, a, a deity. You know, you devote yourself to some sort of idea of, deity, which is extremely important in spirituality in some form, you know? So yeah, in the East, it starts, it's anthracitric. It starts with the human being, you know, um, Buddhism, it starts with the human experience. Taoism starts with nature and the human experience. Hinduism, it starts with being a human being where you are now, and then gradually getting these, other modes of wisdom and growing and then achieving moksha or liberation from being incarnated into body after body and having millions and millions of reincarnations. In the West it's the, it's like kind of the opposite. Everything starts out there with the creator. You get the knowledge and then you get your, your golden afterlife. But yeah, I just thought it would be really important to talk about because it's just, um, you know, I love, um, talking about the Western traditions as well. I I'm a little bit more of a fan of the Eastern ones, you know, getting into the practicing with the Dharma and learning about, you know, Dharmic things and, you know, even learning about Hinduism and Taoism, but, um, there is a, beauty in the western traditions as well i think the gnostic scriptures are amazing to read you know i love the gospel of thomas you know that is a beautiful set of scriptures about jesus you know um and mary magdalene as well she's mentioned in there i love what i have learned thus far about the essenes i have an essene bible and I I can't quote it really when I when I got the book from the Essenes themselves you know they um, they want to keep it protected so I had to like agree not to publish it on the internet or share it with people even though I'm not an Essene myself I'm not even a church member of them but I have their book I was able to obtain one of their Bibles or their Bible. And it is a really, really fascinating book. I mean, I will have to go back and explore more of it because it's um, it's everything that that I've been talking about so far, you know, as far as like the Western traditions and ascension and afterlife. I haven't found any deep depictions of what how they see the afterlife. Like, you know, there, there's a golden river. There's a, nothing like that but, um, it does talk quite a bit about reincarnation, you know, the idea of death being born again and being able to manifest like an angelic body. So like, that's like a spiritual goal, um, in the, with the, within the Essene. So that's something else I want to talk about. So I want to, I want to end this podcast by talking about how we can go about achieving a peaceful life because I've already talked about a lot of the differences between the different schools and what they have in common, what they what they differ. And since the idea of an afterlife and reincarnation is an issue, it's equally, and if not more important of an issue, is if we do reincarnate, How do we stop? Because it doesn't sound all that exciting. Actually, I mean, the greatest thing about it is you're eternal. You're you are an eternal being and being an eternal being that you are, you will don't worry about, you know, don't worry about death because you'll just come back or you'll go someplace else, perhaps another planet where there's humans. I like to i really like to think of it as very something very expensive you know i think that the idea of reincarnation and or rebirth is something that's much bigger than what we can imagine there's more to life than this earth there's more places to go you know um i i think so I'm going to go ahead and say all this as if the, whoever's listening might believe it too, you know, and it's okay if you don't, that's fine. But I think that whether you're into the Eastern practices or the Western practices and whatever they depict and don't depict as a, as far as an afterlife or what happens after death, they're just giving you a little bit, even what I read previously in a previous episode about, um, the astral afterlife that Yogananda talks about. He says, he's just giving you a little piece of what, what can be, you know? So if again, I'll go, I'll circle back again to this question. If we are born again, how do we get out of it? Well, I already mentioned a little bit, Previously, with the Eastern practices, with, with the Western practices, is not that much different. You know, they have things like meditation and studying these writings and getting um, initi- uh, initiations. You know, so there's like people who are initiated priests. They have different grades that they give to their students. Empowerments is what they are. And these empowerments can change the energy of a person. They can they actually affect their consciousness and they can spend part of their life or all their life, depending on who they are, how fast they grow, how how they graduate, whatnot. To the point to where when they do when they are ready to drop the body, they have enough of the knowledge that they need, not heady knowledge, not not theory. It's not enough to have theory. It's not enough that just to read something and go, okay, I get it now. No, knowledge must be fully realized and it must grow within the vessel. It must expand because what we really are in truth is we're consciousness. That's the undisputed reality and that everything else is a dream. So what what's going on at least in my view is that we're dreaming all of this. That's the, I think that that's the secret to, to the afterlife. That's the secret to life and death is that this is a dream and it's easy to forget because things happen in life. Things happen in this dream and they kind of bring your vibe down a little bit. You know, when you lose someone that, that you love, you know, someone passes away that you care about deeply, it affects you and shakes you to the core. I lost my mother five years ago. And I've never been the same since. And it's just something that has, um, something I never imagined happening. I knew I figured it would happen at some point, but when something like that happens, it's sort of, it's brought this sort of death awareness to me in a greater sense, you know, it's like going, wow, we're all on our deathbed in a sense, you know, not to sound so gloomy really, but, um, It's a real, it becomes a, it becomes more real to you. And with that, at least my personal spiritual goal is to use the death awareness and grow to basically stare it in the face all the time and see it for what it really is. And what is it really? It's a part of life. It's inseparable from life. There's this really great quote from Paulo Coelho that I read once and he wrote the alchemist, very talented writer. He wrote the alchemist. He wrote 11 minutes. He wrote uh, a book called hippie warriors of the light. He's written a lot of stuff, very profound writer, very profound spiritual person too. He wrote, um, there's this quote that he says about death. He says, uh, he sees death as a woman that's always with them. And she wants to give him a kiss and he says, no, not now. And she says, okay, live your life and enjoy it, but I'll take you later, (laughs) you know, during the right time. So she's always with you. And I'm currently working on a very slowly, but surely working on my graphic novel and death is all as actually a character in my story. And I'm going to depict the death as a woman as well. You know, so Our Lady Death, as in the Mexican uh, Catholic tradition, you know, so uh, yeah, Santa Morete, she's going to be that the character that's going to show up in my story a couple times. But yeah, anyway, um, that is really all I want to say about this. I just want to just want to just kind of go over some traditions that have meant something to me personally when it comes to talking about death and to get an understanding of it. You know, um we can do things like meditate, we can train ourselves and train our mind to not be afraid of it. I'm still to be honest, I'm still working with that because it's not death itself, it's more the event that brings it, which is still the issue for me personally you know, because you still there's still this idea in, in my awareness of a good death and a bad death, you know, <laughs> and when really if all of us a dream, then it doesn't really matter in truth. You know, um, if we can get a glimpse of what Paramahamsa Yogananda spoke about, you know, in a previous episode of how glorious and what the, the light and the infinite, that infinite love and just the power, the immense, just love and grace that's there in that realm. There were those, that, those, that, that vast infinite realm that he spoke about realms where the plural, I should say, then there's nothing to fear, you know, but due to our training here on earth, due to the fact that we are told that we're just the body and there's a lot of negative things that come with the body due to that we develop a sense of fear from it we look at death as something bad you know when it it shouldn't be the realm that I'm, I I keep talking about Yogananda but um, when he spoke about death one of his many many times is talk, talking about it and the astral he says death isn't feared you know people are born there and that they're born back here but when they come back here they leave that realm and when they leave that realm they return to this realm whether it's earth or another human planet you know they don't they don't have a fear but here they have fear you know I don't know it's just something to think about you know, what if all of humanity one day could become so aware so so enlightened so full of love for one another that we no longer fear death that we do not inflict we we well we don't we what if we can evolve to the point where we don't go out of our way to inflict harmful deaths on people that we want to preserve life, preserve life and celebrate life. But at the same time of preserving it and saving life, we don't fear death. We can grow up in a world where death isn't seen as a bad thing. We don't even use the word death. It's like transition. You're dreaming anyway. So the body sleeps sort of like, um, this film Doctors sleep which is a sequel to Stephen King's the shining. So Ashley and I watched it when it came on the theater. And I remember there was a, a scene spoiler alert. Here it is (laughs) where Ewan McGregor's character was a hospice worker and there was an old man that was, you know, getting ready to transition. He was on his deathbed and, um, he say i don't know the exact quote but ewan mcgregor's character says you're just gonna sleep it's all good and the guy says yeah sleep you're you're a doctor you're a doctor Sleep." and he closed his eyes peacefully and his soul left just peacefully you see the energy leave and everything you know (laughs) but yeah it's you know i'm gonna quote yogananda one last time here before stopping yogananda said that the secret to death is found in sleep sleep is a counterfeit death that is simple and yet so profound that the secret to it is found yeah i'm like that makes a lot of sense i also would say i'm not adding to that but i also would say that It's also found in dreams. Now, I don't mean the content of the dream itself because there's scary dreams. There's good dreams. There's dreams of winning the lottery. There's dreams of your teeth falling out. There's dreams (laughs) of being in the Caribbean and there's dreams of snakes. And there's, but it's not the content, but the fact that the awareness can perceive such and how that changes. So I asked a question once I was like, what if when you woke up out of your dream, you die, like you, like you were wherever you were in your dream in dreamland, you die there and you wake up here. What if death is like that? What if it's just like that? Just like when we come into this world, we leave the womb, right? We leave our mother's womb. And we go through like a tunnel and there's light in that tunnel if we're born in like a hospital or wherever, you know, it gets really bright in there. What if dying was like that? What if it was just like going back into a womb for a little bit, but not, not that way, not in such a, um, gross, I don't mean gross, but not in such a gross materialistic, um, rebirth. But what if it's like that? Hmm. Who knows? But because consciousness also holds memory. Because memory works side by side with consciousness, perhaps we'll find out. When we leave this life, we can know. We we just, it'd just be like, here it is. There's the answer. We know, you know, so if you were a diehard material materialist in one life and something happens where you die, physical death, to leave the body, there's that blackout for a while. And then there is an expansion of light. And then the new dream is in that astral that Yogananda spoke about. And when you're there, you remember it instantly. It's just like there's a knowing of it. Anyway, I think that's a good thought to think about. And I'm going to end it here. I'm going to say happy new year to all who are listening to this. May this year bring you more prosperity blessings. Be safe. And I greatly appreciate all who are listening to this. I'll see you next time.